Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About bright lights. About getting lucky. About sex work. About roulette tables. About recreating ancient wonders that have long since been forgotten. It's about helicopter accidents. (laughs) Intrigue. It's about murder. Female impersonators. (laughs) But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. Yeah. And ourselves. This week, we are joined by a very special guest. My friend, Marie Rowley. Hi. Hi, Marie. Hi. (laughs) So you picked this book. Yes. Would you tell us a little bit about why you picked this book? Yes. I picked this book because I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I live in Chicago now, and I miss Las Vegas very much. I've been very homesick lately, and I was kind of looking for books that would kind of take me back to... Las Vegas. There's not a lot of culture that is set in Las Vegas that actually really captures the city. A lot of it is very cheesy and hangover-ish. Uh-huh. And it's just really about the strip. So I just kind of looked around for something that would kind of scratch that itch for me. And I uh, looked up the author and she actually lives in Las Vegas. And so I was like, well, let's give it a shot. What do you think? She actually lives in Las Vegas. <laughs> I, I, I can say that. So I'm sure we're going to get into it. What we actually think of the book. Uh-huh. But I will say for the purposes of making me feel less homesick it served its purpose oh it actually had a lot of details that were for someone who lives in las vegas like almost every page (laughs) had essentially like vegas fan porn good because someone who's never been to vegas and has absolutely never wanted to go because Uh of the media surrounding vegas and like the idea of a seven-day hangover and like being hot doesn't appeal to me i read this book and i was like I see the appeal. Yeah, yeah. it, it super made me want to go to Vegas. Yeah, it felt like a book about people who actually live in Vegas. Like, it's still very much set on the Las Vegas Strip, but it's about people who live in Las Vegas and work on the Las Vegas Strip. Mm-hmm. And yeah, little details about the places that they go that aren't on the Strip. Some of the places they go are real places. I had highlighted quite a few passages and was like, ask Marie if real. Yeah, I highlighted a lot of things that were real. <laughs> and like the little things that are very specific to only you know when it's your hometown, like mm-hmm. little bits of geography where they make a right onto a street. And when you're from a place and you're like, that street doesn't intersect with that street. And it just really irritates yeah. you. In this book, they're all real. They're yeah. all accurate? Yeah, they all work. That's amazing. Because, because it's like, she really said it in the, she said it correctly. So it really like satisfied that. And like the descriptions are very lush. Like she put a lot of details in there. I read a lot of Amazon reviews after the fact and sort of during, as I was, <laughs> I would like pause and go see like, what are people saying about this? <laughs> And the people who were complaining said that there were too many details. And I found one Amazon review who said, I can summarize immediately why people don't like this book or like why it's so hard to classify. It is for people who love Las Vegas. Not a total mystery. It's not a total romance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not a total comedy. It's totally about Las Vegas. Yeah. It's a really weird book. So I think it's safe to say Deborah Kuntz is to Las Vegas what Woody Allen is to New York City. Sure. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know. Oh, we haven't even said what book we're talking yeah, about yet. Yeah, what that, the huh? world? Sorry. Uh, the book is Wanna Get Lucky by Deborah Kuntz. 
And I think Isabeau should do the summary. Oh, I feel woefully underqualified to perform this summary. We meet Lucky O'Toole, our heroine, who's also the Babylon Casino Hotel main fixer. She has a Nextel cell phone attached to her hip and it's always attached to her ear because she's always so busy. And on the night that we meet Lucky O'Toole, one of the cocktail waitresses of her hotel has plunged into the pirate show from a helicopter and died. At a different hotel. A different hotel's pirate show. Right. Rooftop pirate show. She's dead, and it seems like a suicide, but then... Bum, bum, bum! It's not. It's murder. And then we get embroiled in a blackmail plot. We have a revolving door of might be our heroes. We meet this wonderful guy named Theodore Kowalski, Ted Kowalski, who is a female impersonator, who also lives in a penthouse right above her. We meet Paxton Dane. I always wanted to call him Dane Paxton, Mm. but it's Paxton Dane. Could go either way. Yeah, it could. I wanted to picture him as like a more handsome Bill Paxton, but like... I don't know where I ended up on that one. And at first, he seems like the archetypal romantic hero, but it turns out that maybe he's not. And we meet a bunch of other people, including an officer, Romeo. <laughs> yeah. There's like a lot happening. There are a lot of dudes in this book. Yeah, the the mystery is solved, but by the end of the book, we discover it involves intrigue with the gaming commission. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Hostile casino takeovers. Yep. A swingers convention. An adult film awards show. Yep. And the Silicon Valley thing. And the Silicon Valley thing. Ah, That was barely involved. That was barely involved. Also, she was like, we schedule these conferences for the same weekend because the geeks like to gawk or something. (laughs) That's real. That's real? (laughs) Yes. That's a real conscientious scheduling decision the city of Las Vegas made. Yes. The Comdex convention for many years was scheduled at the same time as the adult video. EVN. Yeah. Awards. They've since changed them, apparently, I learned, but, and also Comdex no longer exists. Mm. So the huge convention she called Electronicon, which I thought was actually a pretty clever name. And the swingers convention she called Trendsetters. Yep, Trendsetters. And I was... Like, this sounds really familiar, but that's such a weird name. What yeah. the heck is this? And I had to, I did a little research and looked it up. The actual swingers convention is called Lifestyles. Ah! Which is also a really weird name, but is also, it's, it's a very good comparison. Yeah, sufficiently vague. Yeah. What would you name your swingers convention? I don't know. I think I would have just gone with something like Key Club. I would go with Sluggers. Nice. Yeah, take a turn at bat. Nice. There you go. There yeah. you go. Something really vague so people could, you know, get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like our Presbyterian minister. The most reverend. The most reverend. Jeep. Where do we want to start? Do we start with the murder? I'm recollecting my thoughts of like, what did I actually think of this book? It's okay if you hated it. What did you think of the book? Here's what I thought of the book. It's very cinematic. So I felt like I was watching like a TNT original movie that made me like Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like it has a higher production value than like a run of the mill like Hallmark channel. Uh But it's also a sweet romance because like I kept wanting there to be sex and there wasn't any except like sex is always talked about. Yeah. And like very frankly. So it's like very prudishly like, yeah, gross. Yeah. But also during the adult film star convention. So like people are naked and there's always the 
conversation about like it's just a body or like this is just work except the book does feel very prudish so that was inconsistent it was super prudish it yeah, was okay. so prudish right and I the, think you make a really interesting point about like there's constantly flesh mm-hmm. going around yeah. and it's constantly like this is a job and there's so much about work and labor and like what it means to spend a life and yet it has like a real blind spot as to like a very key element of this character is that she grew up in a brothel and yep. her mother is the most famous madam in Nevada mm-hmm. and she is super prudish about sex yeah. mm-hmm. and casual sexuality but she also teases other people about being prudish about casual sex yeah so like Dane Paxton or Paxton Dane I did it I did it it's backwards Paxton Dane Paxton Dane yep. it's okay it's we're just gonna call him DP or yep PD uh cowboy DP or PD cowboy the cowboy, cowboy guy she teases him a lot Ooh. about like being very squeamish around the porn stars yeah and but she herself when the swingers come to town constantly her narration is like oh I don't want to think about what they're going to get up to behind closed doors yeah there was one passage in particular I remember very clearly where she's going to like the swingers party kind of near the end Mm -hmm. she sees them hoisting the pinata that looks like a pair of boobs Uh and then turns the corner and they're hoisting a pinata that looks like a butt and she thinks I can't imagine what they're going to use to break the pinatas and I was like a dildo yeah like yeah obvious they're gonna use a dildo that's like there's no question yeah why 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 would you like pull away from this thought it was so weird there's also yeah. like there's no sex scene in the book yeah not a one there which is. i really thought was going to happen in no they do a full-on like fade to black yeah. at the end when yeah. we've been waiting for this sex scene yeah. with this highest paid female impersonator who is of course a straight man yeah, he's a straight man Theodore <laughs> <laughs> who started doing drag when he was a part of the hasty pudding club <sighs> in harvard yeah. Yeah. where yeah. he got his mba and also has enough weight <laughs> to get some kid off the wait list for admissions yeah. and a partial scholarship. I was like, that feels very weak to me. There were a handful of parts that strained credulity and, mm-hmm. and that was one. <laughs> Another one that was just, this was such a minute detail, but her work schedule where she's like, it's after midnight. I gotta go home. Yeah. And I was like, really? You're the main fixer for the Las Vegas strip. And and you show up to work at 9 a.m. Yeah. She's like dealing with difficult customers who are checking into the casino at 9 a.m. I'm like, the check-in starts at two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even in Appleton, Wisconsin. Yeah. No one's checking in at 10 a.m. For all the details to check, <laughs> Deborah Coons, you didn't, this is a really weird one. Yeah. It's a right. There's mistake. like weird slippage where... You know, I'm not from Vegas, but I was like, I think Andre's is a real place. Yes, it is. And like, I think I'd heard of it or something and I like recognized it. The parts of it that felt super accurate and then the stuff that was just like, understanding the job of working in a hotel yeah or working in service like period Mm -hmm. yeah like became all the more glaringly obvious where the gaps in her knowledge were the size of the casino that that would be and how hands-on she is in her job are very strange like she's a senior vice president or whatever and she's dealing with customer service directly yeah Yeah, it's very strange she only has one assistant yeah patterson very strange Also that Miss Patterson is really her one and only good friend and is a subordinate and also doesn't have a first name. Holy shit, you're right. What is Miss Patterson's first name? Miss Patterson doesn't have a first name, even the young man that she gets hooked up with, the beautiful beautiful Jeremy Jeremy Whitlock, Whitlock, which I actually kind of thought that was very charming and that she kept that all the way through that here's like this beautiful person. That struck me as true to life. Like I feel feel like I know Morgan having referred to someone you know from your past as the Very handsome Jesse Gray. (laughs) And I called him that to his face. 
face and he just <laughs> chuckled like I was like, bartender, Jesse Gray. And yeah. I was like, wow, you truly are very handsome. <laughs> yeah. And that like doesn't yeah. chase you. Yeah. But it was even, nice though. It made me feel comfortable with it. <laughs> yeah. But even he refers to her as Miss Patterson. Yeah. Miss yeah. I love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, mm-hmm. beautiful Jeremy Whitlock, mm-hmm. professional private investigator mm-hmm. for the hotel, mm-hmm. doing the fucking least bump chewing <laughs> in this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem particularly good at his job. And here's my other question. So we've got Dane as like our like hunk. fresh off the turnip truck hunk. Uh-huh. But then also Officer Romeo is supposed to be like an idiot baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, an idiot baby is correct. But like she keeps referring to him as kid. And like this might be the first time in a long time that I've seen a woman refer to a man who like ostensibly has the trappings of power so diminutively. Mm-hmm. And so like constantly being like, oh, you had a good one, kid, or you're almost there. You got a lot of Spunkin' yeah, and I'm like, I love it. Yeah. This book, I should have said this in the intro, is a lot about bon mots that aren't actually bon mots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because our heroine is constantly dropping one-liners. Yeah. There are just pages of pages. dialogue back and forth that are... Terrible. Oof, that could have been excised yeah. without missing much. Nope. I love it when she also refers attention to it, where she's like, I felt like I was in a Bogart movie, and I'm like, well, stop talking like it. Yeah. But also, like, not nearly witty enough. There are so many details... Okay, my <laughs> my general impression of this book was this is terrible. <laughs> this is really terrible. This is a bad book. At the end of it, I was like, I I could write a book. Mm-hmm. I should have written a book. You still can. I can be rich now. I can have a book. She's written five Fair. of these. She's written way more than that. It's she, like four, she's on like 14 now. Every time, a lot of times when I finish romance novels, uh-huh. I'm like, if I could have just been given a red pen and four hours, this could have been a good book. Yeah. You know, it's just like There's that just, lack of editorial right. oversight in the genre. There's can like sometimes be like a lot. A layering. lot that in here that is pretty good and a lot that's really bad. Like the criticism I was seeing of there are too many details was true. She has this parrot that just swears oh, at her God. for no reason. Also, yeah. where did she get the <laughs> yeah. bird? I'm really worried about the bird because she's is it gone alive? all the time. Yeah. And then like she has she's this thing at it. the Yeah, and then she's this thing at the end. She's like, I deign to change his papers, even though he was yelling at me and I'm like that's your fucking job man you own a creature three times in the book she comes home walks in the door and her bird calls her an asshole (laughs) and it's like the bird's got it (laughs) (laughs) the bird sees you for who you are lucky so many strange details like that throughout the book yeah it was just so strange yeah stuff that doesn't come to anything yeah just goes nowhere like the fact of her friend from childhood who's now high-powered porn executive Uh and her husband that had nothing to do with anything never goes anywhere there's a weird scene where dane like secretly surreptitiously films that woman in the pool yeah and gives it away for free and it's like well where to and also why isn't lucky like also wasn't dana sensibly spying on lucky and not on the film actress miranda but then like he is spying on miranda and he keeps saying it's like i don't want another chunk taken out of me and I'm like, this is a weird revenge. 
you ass. This book's relationship with labor is complicated at best. There's definitely like good work and bad work. And yeah. like good work is still the kind that overtakes your life. Yes. Like Lucky giving everything to the casino and working 12 hour days and Miss Patterson staying well past when Lucky's asked her to go home is seen as very admirable. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. But her friend controlling consumption of her body in pornography is somehow right. like, ugh. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. That was weird. But like, I think like one of the strangest things for me was like that this book is so full of flesh. Like when they finally go to the trade show for adult film and like Dane Paxton is so uncomfortable. And like there's that scene where she's squeezing a dildo of like dick and balls to fill a condom. Yeah. And I was like, blow it up. Yeah. There's so. Because the theme was the state fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great fucking Which is a who is I want to go. This is exactly. Yeah. It's like a movie. It's like yeah. a setting I can see. Like yeah. there's a half ferris wheel in the background yeah. like she's really good at painting a picture no yeah. kidding and i was like this is so much it's fun a hoot. i want to go and it is so vegas i yeah. could see it it was like every zappos holiday party i went to <laughs> only like sex right which makes it better and I was yeah. like, there's so much fun stuff to do here and then it just came off as like sort of i don't know like momish where it's like oh you know paxton dane you need to be less of a prude and then like as soon as he lets go or like miranda shows up it's like miranda's not wearing any clothes yeah. i was like you were just squeezing a dick and balls. Yeah. Yeah. What is the line? Yeah. I take a little bit of umbrage with the fact that this book had too many details. I think what this book was weighed down in was dialogue. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. I skipped whole swaths of the book because I just saw too many quotation marks in a row. Like when she's talking to her mom Mm. and I was like, I know what this conversation's going to be. She's very convinced of her own, both the author and Lucky are very convinced that Lucky is the funniest person in existence. Yeah. Yeah. I read a quick interview. It's like on Amazon. Like they asked Deborah Kuntz, how did you decide this was going to be a funny book? And she used the line, well, it's just the way it happened when Lucky started speaking to me that she was going to be a funny character. And I (laughs) was like, well, that tells you everything you need to know about how this is going to go. She thinks that Lucky O'Toole is talking to her. Yeah. Um, (laughs) One of the most succinct examples of those bon mots that just are not funny is the yeah. fact that the most famous male porn star in America is named Subway Jones because it's a foot long. Yeah. Yeah. That's not Mm-mm. funny to me. <laughs> It's not, not funny. funny. She also has a moment where she's like describing a pair of Jimmy Choo's that she keeps in her office, you know, to distract male patrons and mm-hmm. use her sexuality to her advantage. But she's so much better than Miranda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and her mom. She describes the shoes as knock me down and fuck me shoes. And it's like we already have a term for this. Yeah. It's fuck me pumps. And it works great. She calls them knock me down and fuck me shoes like two different times in the book. She says it again. I think that's what she calls it. She also, at one point, I'm glad you brought this up. I didn't think about it until just now. I highlighted at one point, they go to in and out Mm -hmm. which is like, I know the exact in and out that she's talking about. It's the one that's on Paradise right off the strip. And devours a hamburger because Paxton Dane loves to see women eat whatever. Yeah, Yeah. she she eats junk food. Oh yeah, I love to eat. Yeah, But she's still constantly skinny a woman that can eat whatever but (laughs) it's the worst but there's like a weird not funny double entendre about ordering animal style at yeah. In-N-Out and she says in her head she, her narration is he looks like the kind of guy who would do the doggy what the hell is that <laughs> phrase <laughs> do the doggy am I wrong is that a phrase that exists in the <laughs> no, world no. of course not 
what? What was another thing she's... Oh, so... It's like she's heard about sex. Like, someone's told her about sex, but she's never actually, actually experienced had it. it. I don't think she knows what porn is like. Yeah, yeah. I don't think she knows what sex is like. That's why there's no sex scenes. Yeah, she can't describe them. Because no. she's, like, clearly embarrassed. Isabeau and I once ripped a book, and then I discovered that the author was a follower of ours on Twitter. Well, I'm sure Deborah Kunz is a lovely woman, actually. Yeah, I mean, sure. According to her author bio. She's from Texas. She's oh. not originally from Vegas. Like Paxton Dane, that makes exactly sense. Exactly like Paxton Which makes Dane. me think, understand Paxton Dane in a new way. But it. also Lida Sue, the uh, dead girl. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> was from Texas. Her, like, fascination with junk food and, like, the way she eats. Yeah. And then she would have these other points where she was like, there's a special place in hell for skinny women who can have a super high caloric intake and not gain weight. And it's like, you cannot have it both ways. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just that this book isn't for me. And it's pure wish fulfillment. Lucky is a powerful woman Mm -hmm. and very smart and very capable. And she is very much in charge of the situation throughout the book and in charge of the men around her too, including her boss. Who's her dad. Her secret secret (laughs) dad. Secret daddy. Secret daddy. Did you find the passage you were looking for? Yeah. So I've never done animal style. He answered his face an inscrutable mask. I'll bet in italics. He was just the sort who'd want to do the dog. What the fuck? Our joke falls apart if he's never done animal style. What is it? <laughs> I don't think I'm the audience for this. I definitely thought it would be kind of raunchier or yeah. like. It's set in Vegas. It's called Want to Get Lucky. Or I thought at the very least her female impersonator paramour would be like bisexual. Yeah. Something a little. (laughs) Something a little bit. When they introduced Subway Jones and there was like going to be an entendre, I thought it was going to be because he likes to go down. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Like that kind of entendre like a little, a little bit so more of an edge better than, than, <laughs> like, but it's just like even the dirty parts are slightly wholesome yeah exactly she seems really uncomfortable with sex and sexuality but, like, but also whenever, drenches the book in it yeah it's, it's always so like around yeah and never doing anything <laughs> yeah like very stagnant but i think it i, I think a way this book could have been like 10% better is if Lucky O'Toole was kinder to the people around yeah. her. Yeah. The good reverend, whatever, the Jeep, reverend. the most reverend Jeep. Like, he seems like a nice person. Mm-hmm. He happens to be a swinger and he helps her throughout the book. Mm hmm. And he has a good marriage with his wife. They found a way to make it work. But the book refuses to acknowledge any of those facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, gross, he's in a tank top. Also, I mean, there was like some shaming, not only about his sexuality, but also about like his personhood in general and like the inherent hypocrisy, but also the fact that this older, overweight gentleman is having the kind of sex that he's having. Yeah. And he's equated in the same way that Mr. Fujikara is, who's clearly taking advantage. Yeah. They're painted with the same sort of brush which just felt like so unnecessary since both men end up helping yeah yeah but also like what's her problem with miranda yeah i I just want to know like what's her beef with Miranda? because they're both like very powerful women Mm -hmm. who kind of came up in the same environment their careers are their lives and like she does not acknowledge this woman's personhood or even their like parallels they're designed to be frenemies i think yes yeah i think that they're 
is stuff in the book that was set up to be for sequels. I also kind of looked ahead at some of the descriptions of later books because at the end she ends up with Teddy, her best friend, and it's like happily ever after. Right. And I was like, is this not intended to be a romance series? Was this intended to be actually a mystery series and this one just had a romance? Yeah. And so I was like, does she with a new person every single time? And yes, she's just with new people all. Whoa. Whoa. Or like kind of of in and out, like Teddy eventually leaves her and Paxton (gasps) Dane is back and forth and like a French chef shows up and he's a character for a while and Jeremy Whitlock gets into some trouble and he's with Miss Patterson whatever he never gets a first name (laughs) yeah Yeah. but she doesn't and then she eventually becomes Mrs. Whitlock yeah probably the beautiful Mrs. Whitlock but yeah so I I kind of have a feeling that Miranda you see a little seed planting a backstory at the very end there's like a paragraph explaining that they grew up as friends in the same brothel or something yeah and her mom died and Lucky's mom became the madam or something so Miranda hates her now fair yeah fair yeah very strange she has a lot of kindness the things she does are very kind and her thoughts are not They're charitable so cruel. it's so like she confusing. does a lot of really like she finds this girl who took a class of hers when did she have time to teach a class at UNLV right but she sees this random girl working valet at a different yeah. casino and remembers her and offers her a job on the spot but changes her name from Brandy Wine back to Brandy, Brandy Alexander, Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is such a real it is it's a real thing but she does that kind of thing throughout the book like she helps that lady's kid get into Harvard yeah and she gives that cat away saves yes, that cat saves a cat from a terrible guest and gives Javier's kid a hundred bucks yes she is doing really nice things throughout the book but her thoughts are very uncharitable yeah yes. to everyone around her uncharitable is definitely a great characterization of all of her thoughts but when they're gonna veer into like cutting or really mean she's like I can't picture it moving on yeah and I'm like oh so we're even censoring how mean you are too. Yeah. yeah yeah she exists in a very strange like the two pillars of like not too sexual and also like not mean enough I don't know I kind of hope that's why Teddy leaves her he like discovers her internality and is like you you've bitch. got a lot of darkness yeah. that you need to work through she's like catty that's how mm-hmm. I would describe yeah. it yeah She's like a very catty personality. The parrot is right. Yeah. (laughs) Normally, whenever romance novels have a series, it's like each potential couple that's introduced in the first book gets its own book. It's not the main character throughout finding different relationships because that negates the idea of a happily ever after. But the True Blood series. Mm. That's what this reminded me of. Yes, me too. But I was like, I think that's so much. I I was like, I like that series so much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely read more of it and would read more. I was like, one's enough. of want to get lucky lucky o'toole such a good character name and then the only time a joke came up about it i had to read it six times before i understood what was happening it was a very stupid joke it was so stupid i know exactly what you're talking about yeah miranda sees her and sees that she's won the glow in the dark condoms and it's like how lucky and she goes no how miranda yeah and i just kept reading it and going no how miranda i did the same i said no no how miranda and i was like does she mean no like k-n-o-w <laughs> <laughs> no how, Miranda. No how, Miranda. No how, Miranda. Yeah, I did the same thing. I, I like- What's so funny about that is like I was reading this book and listening to it, and the way that the person delivers that line is so bad. It's so truly terrible. Where she's like, "No, Miranda." <laughs> I was like, "What?" And I, like oh, I had Lord. to go find it in the text. Also, don't, don't listen it. to this book. Lucky O'Toole. The person who does it does not do it justice. Lucky O'Toole. What a great name. Turns out she's Jewish. Oh yeah. She, oh God. 
yeah, spoiler. <laughs> Lucky's not her nickname either, is it? That's just no, her, that's her mom name. named her that. Her mom, her poor 15-year-old mom 15 was like, this is a good mom. idea. Lucky. Lucky yeah. Ozool. Also, my dad, who is clearly much older and like is only finding out that my mom is now 15 as I'm crowning, is going to let my mom name me Lucky? Jeez Louise. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. But I mean, I do genuinely believe a young woman parents named her Brandy Alexander. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But to me, Lucky O'Toole bridged too far. <laughs> After I finished this book, I went on a rant screaming around my house, explaining to my husband how upset I was that I wasn't already a famous novelist and that I obviously could have written this book. And I was like, I could do it. I could have just done this right now. What if I just wrote a book? What about, let's see, Sunny, Sunny Beauchamp. What do you think about that? Oh, that's really good. That's yep. really good. That's yeah. really good. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's really good. I'm going to do it. You Sunny it Beauchamp? First. Yep. What's your book going to be called? Sunny with a Chance of Death. Oh, you're going to do a murder mystery. Yeah. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah. God, I but love- But she's not working at a casino. She works in a university because that's what I know. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to do it. I, I love I that I could. idea of like- It could be at least it. as good at this. I love the better. idea of setting it at UNLV. Because yeah, it's think- hot. That's the thing about this book though. It's like everyone's constantly dehydrated, which like adds sort of to like <laughs> the bone structure. Like everyone's like hollowed out slightly. Everyone's just like very angular. And I'm like, everybody just needs to drink more water. Here's something I want to ask you, Marie. Yes. Are people in Vegas consistently pale because you're always indoors Mm, or are you like tanned and leathery people in west texas tend to be pretty tanned and leathery it's probably like two-thirds one-third more tanned oh really one-third pale indoor tanned or outdoor tanned probably more indoor that's so interesting yeah you can't go outdoors you'll just die die but then like going into a casino which is a thing i do quite often because my partner is a gentleman gambler yes who provides for me but it is it's like going into like time doesn't exist yeah and i thought that was one of my favorite things about the book is that i was like this is exactly the timeline i imagine las vegas exists on yeah which is to say no timeline at all yeah. Okay, let me ask this. What are the things you liked about the book? You said you liked the makeover scene. I liked that a lot too. That actually really stuck out to me. Yeah. I liked the relationship between Lucky and Miss Patterson, even though yes. she, she hasn't given her a first name apparently, Yeah. but I like it. I yeah. liked it a lot. I loved just spending time in the casino and hearing how it was described. There's a part where she goes to a buffet and she doesn't explain the buffet, but I was just thinking about everything I knew about Las Vegas buffets. And I was like, I want to go to also made me want to go to Las Vegas in the very specific context of going to a convention Mm -hmm. because I love the idea of all of these people with like a similar interest being like plucked out of their similar confines Mm -hmm. and put into this new space. I felt like the world building in this book was really well done. The stuff that I mainly did not like was the dialogue Mm -hmm. and I also wanted to spend more time in the weird Victorian in Pahrump. Mm, yeah, Nevada. So good. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Pahrump. I know that because it's in the television series Get Shorty. Oh. Which brings me to our podcast within a podcast, the Chris O'Dowd Appreciation Corner. Oh, cool. Chris O'Dowd, he's pretty great. He's so great. Oh my God, he's so great. I don't know if you guys Agreed. have seen the show Puffin Rock, which Chris O'Dowd narrates as... No. Oh my God, it's amazing. It's about these two little puffins. Is um, it an animated or? Obviously, it's for oh. like little kids. Oh, okay. But it's so cute. And there are moments where he like breaks into like the scene because the puffins have their own voices. But then he'll be like, that's too cute, Una. And I'm like, ah, 
Chris O'Dowd. What do you think about Chris O'Dowd? Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Plus, yeah. Right. I did meet someone in a bar once in Dublin who said he went to school with Chris O'Dowd and that that guy was a bastard. No. But I feel like I would say that if I went to school with Chris O'Dowd and was drunk in a bar talking to a 19-year-old well, like from Kansas. Popular now. Yeah. yeah. This sense. has been another successful episode of the Chris O'Dowd Appreciation Corner. Wow. But I wanted to spend more time in her, like, her mom had her when she was 15 in a brothel. Like, of course, she's created this, like, weird antebellum. Yeah. Nether- I really, <laughs> yeah. looking glass world I wanted to spend more time in. I loved that, too. Yeah, I wanted to get way more into the world of the brothel in general. And Pahrump. Pahrump is a very real place. And that felt very real to me as well. I haven't spent a ton of time in Pahrump, but it reminded me a lot of Boulder City, which I have spent a lot of time in. And my best friend is from Boulder City. And Boulder City is, like, a small town that's just... 15 minutes from Las Vegas, but it's like a small town. It reminded me of that, where you can be so close to Las Vegas, but also be just in a small town. One of the things about Pahrump that I found very fascinating and like this moment of like Paxton Dane politics coming through was like the whole discussion of taxing the brothels and uh-huh. why the brothels wanted to be taxed to become like a more legitimate business and rather than have these politicians be fence sitters, like have skin in the economic game in a different way. And he's like, wait, 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 you want to be taxed? And I was like, God, she just fucking ex- explained it so cogently you <laughs> asshole like, yeah clearly the fuck is wrong with you and like that was my favorite part of the book all these hapless gentlemen having women explain things to them yeah i do like that that was my favorite thing i like that lucky is six feet tall mm-hmm. yeah and just punches people and stuff yeah elbows them that whole scene with willie the weasel yeah really enjoyed that mm just breaks his nose. Yeah. Is that fancy gated community? Is that real? Yes, that is very real. The rumor about it being a few degrees cooler than the rest of the city <coughs> is a real rumor. Mm-hmm. The description of it was extremely accurate. The location of it was accurate. And that really took me back. Spanish Trail. Yep. You know, that's why Hyde Park was established as a vacation city for people who lived in Chicago because it's two degrees cooler in the summer. Oh, good detail. You already knew that. <laughs> what else? What other questions do you have? What other accuracies? <laughs> Can I read you a passage? This was like, this took me right back. The clamor of excited voices from the casino combined with the pinging from the video machines and the piped in music to create a cacophony of excitement that made it not only impossible to talk, but to think as well. Yes, this is exactly what it's like to be on the casino floor. Like that sound Mm -hmm. when you hear it. Oh, it just, yeah, that just took me right back. And like, there's that scene where she's with beautiful Jeremy Mm -hmm. Whitlock. She's like, ignore the music. What do you hear? And he's like, it sounds excited. And she's like, that means the work is going smoothly. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. The world building was was really good. Mm -hmm. The world building was so good. I loved all the details. I hated the dialogue. Even the the cheesy details. So the name of the casino is the Babylon. Mm -hmm. Everything in it is weirdly ancient world and Bible themed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they all work in a way that is actually a thing that Vegas would do. It's so over the top, but I could see an eccentric casino billionaire doing something as stupid as making the hair salon named Samson's. And also like shipping, whatchamacallit, from actual ziggurat from the ancient world to make a hair salon out of. And building a three-tiered pool based on the 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 hanging gardens gardens of Babylon. Babylon. Yeah, that is a thing they would totally do. I could see that. Exactly. And that's what made me want to go to Vegas because I was like, oh yeah, all of this dumb shit exists. And you can like go there for a minute. A world-building detail that you gave me. One time, Marie and I were walking through the Palmer House Hotel Mm. And you said it made you miss Vegas. 
Vegas, the smell. Oh, yeah. Which is like... I was just thinking about that. It smells like miniature cheeseburgers, mm-hmm. air conditioning, mm-hmm. lots of different things to cover human smell mm-hmm. that's so like enticing and exciting, but still makes you feel like comfortable enough to like wear a fanny pack. Yeah. <laughs> if it's convenient to you. Yeah, the smell of it is so specific. And old casinos smell different than newer casinos. Oh, I miss it. I'm still home. Did you still spend a lot of time in casinos? They're like our community centers. It's really weird thinking back on it now, like how much time you spend in casino. Like I remembered a time that I met someone for a job interview in a like weird back corner of like the MGM Grand. For like no reason it wasn't a casino job it was just like halfway between where the two of us were and there are just like weird moments where you're in a casino for some other unrelated reason like that's where the restaurant is that you're going to or yeah. whatever like i remember passing through a casino once for some completely unrelated reason and like miss deaf usa was happening so there were like extremely beautiful deaf women in like evening gowns walking through so there's just like a lot of really surreal moments in las yeah. vegas all the time when you were growing up did you realize that this was like surreal no or were you like this is like this another day like this is vegas this is kansas city this is this very is normal milwaukee yeah there is a very prominent billboard when i was a child that was on every taxi and on so many billboards around town of a topless review i think it was called cheetahs and their slogan was no ifs ands or and there was a line of women with their backs to the cameras like hugging each other's butts just with thongs on yeah and i at some point as an adult remembered that and i was like oh, i just saw that like every single day so many times when i was six <laughs> Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. I get it. Yeah. Also, a better joke than anything that appears and want to get lucky. Yep. Oh, my God. Fuck the interviewer who encouraged this behavior by being like, when did you want to decide that this was going to be a funny book? The Pisces made me laugh out loud more than this book did. There is one joke that I thought was funny, but also, like, I'm not even sure how to deal with, like, race in this book because sometimes it made me uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. But it's when she's on her one and only date with Dane and their waiter is second generation Iranian man Mm -hmm. and he's like aren't we at war with Iran and I was like when the fuck was this book published but like the joke is bring me a bud and a cold glass ah Budweiser full bodied with a delicate bouquet and light finish we recommend that in a pairing with the sea bass tonight and I was like that's a good joke (laughs) that is a good joke I liked that there's a handful in there. Not many. It's like you can count it on the one hand, but that one I like. Anytime when Paxton Dane was the butt of a joke, I was like, yes, more of this, please. Yeah, those are pretty good. I will say that joke made me wish I was a server in a restaurant with a big dick so that I could be mean <laughs> to people. There was a lot of big dick energy from the service industry in this book that I was always like ready for. <laughs> That's true. There's also the moment where she like walks into the back bar and the bartender's like, we don't open for another five minutes we open at five and she looks at the clock and it's 4 55 and she thinks like why i ought to if i own this place oh i absolutely hated when she has the date in andre's and she's like aren't they gonna close soon and teddy's like loosen up and i was like you, you asshole, asshole. Yeah. oh no no yeah. i honestly was like i had to justify it by thinking teddy's given them a two- ton of fucking money yeah 200 bucks a piece to stay open late yeah that was unconscionable i agree for I a guy in the service industry himself. Yeah. Now he's a headliner on the strip and he forgets what it's like to be a waiter at Andre's. Oh, come on. I know he's he's the son of the Kowalski investment. (laughs) Yeah. Fortune. 
With a mom who makes coconut oatmeal raisin cookies. Jesus. Yeah, he never worked at Andre's. He just had like one really successful run with the Hasty Pudding Club and that was the rest of his life figured out for him. The Kowalski. The Kowalski firm of the New Jersey Kowalskis. Unbelievable. What a bastard. His character was very strange and he was introduced really weirdly late, like a third into the book. Suddenly he was the love interest. Yeah. And then he was the love of her life. Yeah. Yeah. For the rest of the book. Once again, True Blood has a lot of like potential love interests Mm -hmm. that kind of shift throughout the series. Yeah. So if you like this kind of thing, just read a better version (laughs) of it. (laughs) This is definitely, you know, a B version of Charlene's Harris Dead After Dark. Even with the punny titles that always have the same word, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Oh my exactly god. It's the Vegas B version. Not, I obviously no vampires. No, um, yeah. Every season of True Blood on DVD. Yeah, because it's amazing. And I love watching the Charlene Harris interviews because she's so sweet and she's like, I was waiting in a parking lot of a mall, <laughs> and I just thought to myself. What if there was a vampire who went to the mall? And what if his <laughs> name was Bill? <laughs> That's a favorite quote. And I also like it whenever she appears on the series, just looking at Sam, the werewolf's shapeshifters behind. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. She does that. <laughs> Such a better cameo than Diana Gabledon in Outlander. What'd she do in Outlander? She has. A she just showed up and was like, definitely not a romance. <laughs> she just has a really bad Scottish accent that they just let sit for way too long. She has like three lines and each one is horrific. I guess we got to get back on format here. Yeah. Sexiest bit? Sexiest bit. I'm struggling to think of anything that was sexy in this book. I know. It was such a disappointment. I definitely thought there was going to be... Like I was just waiting. I was like, at some point, she's going to have sex with this drag queen. And then it didn't happen. Nor was he in drag. Like any of the... Yeah, do something interesting with gender. Yeah, you set up this character. Yeah, do something with it. I was like disappointed at one moment because... So Teddy goes to the swingers party impersonating a woman Mm -hmm. so that they can go in the cop. And then he concludes his very good investigation, Mm -hmm. goes into the bathroom and starts washing off his face. But it describes him stripping off all of his women's clothing and underpinnings and going into the bathroom. And then she like hugs him from behind and rests her face on him while he's washing off his makeup and I was like this is interesting and then it was like mentioned that he was still wearing his underpants and for some reason I was like god this book endlessly disappoints <laughs> it's true like, <laughs> like the idea that he was wearing men's underwear underneath all of that yeah. and was like still wearing it yeah. was so upsetting to me yeah there is a moment where he like comes out and he's like in his full dress for the scene mm-hmm. and Dane is there and he's like that's my date and then Teddy goes into his like real voice and he's like don't get too excited and then Paxton Dane is like I couldn't tell that you weren't a woman it's like okay great now what are we gonna do and then that was it kiss 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 (laughs) I hate the yeah exactly exactly make it interesting I don't like the idea that like he becomes the world's premier female impersonator because he looks so much like a woman like it's a very late 60s early 70s understanding of that kind of performance yeah (laughs) that I also found frustrating sexiest part for me was whenever he like got in a fight with her and then burst into her office and apologized that was nice yeah that got the closest to lighting my fire 
I could see that. It is okay. way more fun to talk about the sexual disappointments in this book. <laughs> Does anyone else have a sexiest part? I'm so glad I had one highlighted. So I, I do. That. It's that scene where Miss Patterson is feeling nervous about her date with the beautiful Jeremy Whitlock. And she asks Lucky to come back half an hour before her date is set to start so that she can like redo her makeup. And there's this like really sweet scene where oh, yeah. Lucky is touching her up and like soothing her nerves. And then like there's a knock at the door and it's like beautiful Jeremy Whitlock shows up and he's like totally stone cold speechless. And I was like, that's nice though. I did love the beautiful <laughs> Jeremy Whitlock's relationship with Miss Patterson. I'll agree with that. I'll piggyback off that and say I liked the the following day after they have their lovely date mm-hmm. and the beautiful Jeremy Whitlock when he sees Lucky the next time just says kind of offhandedly, I'm so glad I had the courage to ask her out. I didn't think she would say yes. Yeah. yeah and it is it is very sweet. That was sweet. I also love that like Miss Patterson just like fucking went for it and they had what I imagined this amazing night of sex. Yeah. And then like she's late to work for the first time ever. Yeah. yeah. And like she's still in her clothes from the night before. I was like, that's sexy. Good job, Miss Patterson. But then yeah. she has this whole thing about like when you get to be my age, you just go for it. Like, oh, damn it. Damn it. I did have a moment where I laughed out loud where Miss Patterson so Lucky tells her it's very trendy being a cougar and she says, I never thought of myself as a feline before. An old shoe, yes, but a predatory cat, no. <laughs> she had one of my only laugh out loud lines as well, which is when Lucky leaves her phone at Teddy's place and Teddy's picking it up all day. Oh, I hated that. Which is very annoying behavior. Uh, so much anxiety. But Miss Patterson says, I called your phone and Teddy answered. I'd like you to notice that I'm not asking you any follow up questions about that. <laughs> And just moves on. (laughs) It's wonderful. Miss Patterson is the beating heart of this story. Yeah. Kind of like the human redemptive Mm -hmm. element. But like, Vegas is a character in and of itself in this book (laughs) that I super enjoyed. You're so right. You're so right. true. And I I wanted to spend time in it. It made me really love Vegas. Yeah. It was really real to me. When was the last time an RWA was in Vegas? I feel like it should be in Vegas every year. So it was in Denver. It's been in New York a bunch of times because that's where publishing industry big ways Don't they want to get out though? Yeah, they were in Denver. They were in Portland. They go to the most romantic cities. Yeah, Denver. Savannah. Portland. Denver is mile high. Providence. Very, the vistas are beautiful. Providence is not romantic. Indianapolis. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, they don't even go to like Orlando. Like for me, like if I go to a convention, I love conventions in Orlando. Paper towns. Convention cities are weird. Like Mm -hmm. cities that like built their economies on cons. But I've never been to Vegas and I feel like Vegas would be the one for me. Mm. Like I would be like, this is the place where it all really happens. You would have so much fun. What was the weirdest part of this book? I think the weirdest part was everything with the porn stars because it went nowhere and it just made no sense and it was so blatantly sexual but also so prudish Mm. that's it for me weirdest part for you Isabel the series of red herrings I found very strange where it's like Pax and Dane is a red herring and then you know various versions of red herring and then the fact that the the gaming commission would mm-hmm. hire what is essentially a secret agent 
seemed strange to me. Is that real? Yeah. I feel like the Gaming Commission would. Okay. The fact that the Gaming Commission came in so late as a bureaucracy that had a stake, or like, (laughs) shouldn't they be more concerned that we have potential suicide and then indeed murder and then like blackmail? Like, isn't this something that like the Gaming Commission should like have more of a handle on? Was weird to me. I feel like the police should have. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like Romeo was such a beautiful, stupid. Such a simple. Yeah, I loved him as like an emblem of state power. I was like, oh, clearly the police in Nevada do not know what's happening. Yeah, his like suit was always wrinkled, and then he's like, apparently there are two women here who perform blowjobs for money. (laughs) I I was like, my friend, you live in Vegas. Why is this so surprising to you? It is illegal in the city limits, isn't it? Yeah, I have to imagine it's like performance art, (laughs) like how they get around it. Yeah, there has to be like an explanation. There was a van for the blowjob sisters or whatever. The Felicio sisters. The Felicio sisters. I thought it was one of those classes that was like popular where they're like, get your dildo. We're going to teach you how to do a blowjob. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the insertion of bureaucracy at strange times where it's like, I liked it. It also felt very like, who is this for though? We are literally in a murder mystery sweet romance. And now you're inserting a very strange discussion about fence sitting politician. I thought of another weird one. Mm -hmm. It just came back to me. Yeah. There is a scene in the middle where a guy lets a snake loose in the casino. Yeah, and she fucking kills it. Look, he has to kill it. Shoots it it in the head. I did not like that part. And that's for no reason. It's not connected to anything else that happens in the entire book. You're right. You're super right. Thank you for bringing that up. That scene is so fucked up. She's in the elevator going up and she's explaining like some people set cockroaches loose in this hotel in order to get get deals, but cockroaches live near water and we're in a desert. So that's obviously not real. But guess what? Now this guy brought a giant fucking snake an anaconda what was his plan and also she just straight up brains the anaconda and she also pulls the security guard's gun pulls the security guard's gun puts the safety on pulls the snake's head away takes the safety off the whole process of shooting the snake in the head seemed wild the process seemed fucked to me like if you're gonna shoot a snake I don't think you need to shoot it in the head to get it to like let a person go and also why wouldn't you just call animal control thank you the guy said help please which means he's still breathing yeah yeah you got some time you got time yeah the death of that snake but also all of it again red herring where it's like that's a scene where like our cowboy Paxton Dane has been set up as a six foot five hunk and like he's just been put in his place by Lucky's (laughs) capacity and I was like she just murdered a snake and he's like all those guys had guns yeah. And it was like cool. Just a weird thing that happened in the middle of the book. That is super true. Good it point. It is just a weird thing that happened in the middle of the book. But hey, that's Vegas, baby. <laughs> Murdering snakes. <laughs> 24-7. All anything, in a day's anything work. Anything could happen. All in a day's work. I didn't mean to interrupt. Morgan, what's your weirdest thing? Well, I have a couple things I'm reflecting on because there is like this weird relationship with Mexican laborers yep. because there's the chauffeur and the gardener. That kind of gestures towards this larger problem in the book where it's very unconsciously having this intense discussion about labor and leisure, which I think Vegas is a fascinating place to talk about labor and leisure, but also never really conscientious 
consciously aware of like double standards or hypocrisy, all while Lucky claims to be like, I'm not a hypocrite, I'll hire a stripper. But then she is a hypocrite. And also the general like misunderstanding of like what is sexy. Like she talks about her mom being very sexy and you find out she's wearing like an Allie McBeal mini skirt suit with her lace bra showing and bright purple <laughs> heels. And she's like, I'm going to Congress. I know. <laughs> and she's like, I hated it when men ate up the attention of my mother. It was so hard to compete with her. And I was like, is it? I like, also you're six foot. You were enough. But I think just like a real misunderstanding of how sexuality works and is. But yeah, the Mexican laborers was a really hard point for me. <laughs> she's like, oh, this guy's like too much. He's so eager. And it's like, yeah, you're his fucking boss. And then she has this whole thing about, she's like, I got horny even thinking about the Mexican gardener. Gross, right, guys? It's just like, ugh. Like, Javier seems very nice. Yeah, you should be so lucky. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There always seems to be in these romance novels, though, if we give it, like, a little nudge, something weird about race and sex comes up. And then that whole thing about uh, Fukijara. I was just going to say, Fukijara, there's yeah. the one Asian character. Yeah. The Japanese businessmen. And then there's all sorts of stuff like bowing. and Yeah, how she hates and feels awkward about bowing. And I'm like, why are we treating it this way? This isn't Die Hard. It's not 1991. Yeah, when was this book published, by the way? 2010. This book was published when Obama was president. It's to Tyler and Steve, without whom there would be no magic. Yeah, at the time that she wrote this, she was married to Stephen Kuntz, who is like a really, really big deal in the thriller world. Yeah. No shit. I didn't know that. Deborah. Are they divorced? They are now. She's not exactly having her Catherine Bigelow moment yet, as far as the writing world goes. Yeah. Maybe soon. I hope so. I think I to actually see the cover because yeah. it had the Kindle version. This is fascinating. Think how often regular literature gets new covers. And then I want you to triple it because that's how romance novels work. Yeah. They get new covers every three months. Most <laughs> books come with two covers. Yeah, because there's the British cover and then there's the American cover. No, I mean like there's the outer cover oh, and yeah. the inner cover that's the sexy one. The house on the hill and then like the bodice. Someone commented on our Instagram whenever I posted a picture of the inner cover of Devil in winter and she was like oh my god i love devil in winter i'm so glad you featured it i was like you don't listen to the podcast you don't because you would know what we thought about it man i'm definitely gonna write a romance novel though yes yes you absolutely should the bar seems really low i'm gonna do like a naNoWriMo yeah remember when you wanted to do like a beautiful contemporary novel about what it was like to live in vegas in 2007 yeah set the bar way lower yeah (laughs) this is like i've got big ideas and like no just throw that away. You don't have to throw it away. You can put it in like the Just subtext. like first draft, best draft. Marie! Out the door. We haven't touched on one of your areas of expertise. Yes. Which is the history of sex work. Didn't come up a lot, except it was like where she was raised. In yeah. A yeah. yeah, again, I, I wish that the world of the brothels had come up a lot more. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, not a ton, but there's definitely books about the contemporary world of the brothels. Yeah. So she could have done some research. Sex work is like a really weird space in romance novels Mm -hmm. I was trying to understand this book we read called The Flame and the Flower Mm -hmm. that was like wildly popular when it came out and I read Reading the Romance
romance, revisited it, and I realized, so the first sex scene for a long time in romance novels had to be a scene of rape. The heroine couldn't want to have sex in order for it to be decent. Mm. But then this anthropologist who was interviewing women who read romance, she was like, well, why is it acceptable for him to be a rapist? Like, isn't it super bad that the hero is a rapist? And they would be like, oh no, if he thinks she's a sex worker or like a prostitute, they would say, then it's totally understandable. Okay. And like, you would think that romance novels with sex workers in them would exist. They don't. I read a Lisa Claypas one where she thought she was getting a gigolo, but she'd actually been sent an editor as like a joke and they fell in love. Okay. I wanted my weirdest part to be Lida Sue's death, but like the idea of a young, beautiful dead woman isn't weird in mystery novels or even romance but like the fact that she was a sex worker and that that's part of the reason why she can't get a new job and like her past follows her in a particular way and is then used as fodder for the reason that she's murdered just seemed so grotesquely predictable yeah and i was like even for 2010 even for vegas like this seems like we just can't get around the idea that like sex workers are like somehow less human that their work isn't valued there's a moment in this book where it's like we bring in tons of money for these towns that would otherwise yeah. be economically desolate. But romance novels, there aren't even like thruples, there aren't even like, you know, non-monogamous romances. And like trying to find something that talks about sex work is like normal and cool. Impossible. And like trying to find something that wasn't making a joke out of people who are swingers. Impossible. It's like a genre that hinges somewhat on sexuality and yet is so beholden to a very single idea right. of sexuality and then goes around announcing itself is like progressive because of its focus on women's pleasure that's why i thought this book was interesting that it kind of glanced up against some of those ideas and then sort of shied away because ultimately it it does seem like the sex workers they talk about like lida sue there is sort of this implied message like it's better if they get out of it Mm -hmm. but her mom is a very strong character and is still a madam and seems to take a lot of pride in her work uh-huh. And is a very savvy businesswoman. Uh-huh. And there is that whole passage where she talks about the legalization of it and wanting to be part of the mainstream economy. And so it seems like the author is making a case for the mainstreaming of sex work. But there's also the adult stars. Yeah. And, and the w- weird way they're treated yeah. in the narrative. It's very much like their characters and their, I don't know, it is, it's very strange. It is. And I wonder if later, her mom's still going to be a madam yeah. in the rest of the series. I wonder if it comes up again later. But there's this idea of like her mom is a very good businesswoman but lucky doesn't seem to appreciate the fact that like her mom is doing this like when she was 15 you know she's like doing the same thing that lucky did and lucky doesn't acknowledge her sexuality as capital like she's like what kind of mother sends her daughter to work as a cocktail waitress when she's 15 in a bikini and it's like well your mom did the same thing right and it's very much like good businesswoman bad mom right kind of dichotomy is at play here when we were talking about me coming as a guest on the podcast we'd sort of looked for romance books with sex work as a theme and yeah it doesn't really come up not in any way that's like interesting the thing this genre has all these dark corners of omission 
Yeah. It says so much by saying nothing or saying like really mean things about a pastor who is overweight and in a swinging situation. Right. But I remember like fan fiction is such a world of like there are non-monogamous relationships and there are gender bending relationships and there are ideas about sex work that are kind of eroticized in a way, but in a more nuanced fashion than just being like kind of hot, right? But the genre that actually gets published even self-published doesn't ever touch on those topics in a way that feels meaningful or indeed like interested. Does that make you want to read more? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if romance's omission, especially around sex work, isn't like a very particular kind of reflection of our own inability to talk about sex work, especially in this country and like how our puritanical movements even Mm -hmm. now, like that is an interesting case because of its long history of legal prostitution, but it's also seems sort of like the kind of exception that proves the rule of like a puritanical, terrible idea of dealing with sex work, which is like always going to be a thing. Like that law that was just passed last year, FOISTA. FOSTA-SESTA. Thank you, FOSTA-SESTA. And like the idea that you can cloak it and like this is good for sex workers, like it creates more safety, but what the thing it's actually doing is like stopping them from working. Yeah, stopping them from working in safe spaces. Yeah. And so then, like, I don't know, like, the idea that, like, this nation and many nations still have a problem identifying sex work as work and how to make it safe for everybody. It's not just, like, legalizing sex work fixes it. I mean, the Netherlands, even though they've had legal sex work forever, has problems Mm -hmm. with human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Right. It becomes, like, part of a capitalist system, which is, like, if you can underprice, undercut the competition, and the way you undercut the competition is through slave labor, essentially. Right. So then it becomes like globalization, like subject to those pressures. Yeah. And that guy who was always on real sex, who had his bunny ranch, what was Dennis something? Hoff. Dennis Hoff. Dennis Hoff. Okay. He makes the most money out of anybody. It's not like these women are truly empowered. I think that is more relative to the fact that we stigmatize rather than like any kind of legalization. Yeah. And regulation. Are there other types of work that don't get represented in romance oh yeah are there just like non-sexy work yeah like domestic work okay like non-sexy work it's hard for me to think of in the historicals you can have a governess but you never have like a lady's maid as a main character Hmm. so domestic work of that kind is like not investigated you can have a governess and they do have a lot of governesses they have a lot of governesses okay but like governesses occupy a strange space in the hierarchy of aristocracy where it's like they're good enough to like sit at table but not not good enough to marry and like yeah, that's right. the problem whereas like you're never gonna marry your lady's maid and she's not good enough to sit at the table and the more contemporaries as far as work there's a strange fetishization of the military industrial complex mm. and also the police mm. but like they usually end up with teachers Okay. Or nurses. Yeah, I was wondering if there's, in general, I mean, this genre fills a place of wish fulfillment and escapism. Yeah. And not unlike TV and movies and other types of culture, you, you'll you see an over-representation of... Glamorous jobs. Bakers. Yeah. Bakers, yeah. lawyers... 
PR reps. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, things like that. I was wondering if there was something particularly... In the historicals, I would say it's an overrepresentation of governesses and <laughs> contemporary as far as the heroines. But a lot of anachronistic work as well. Like, mm-hmm. she's a writer, but she can still publish under her female name, but it's actually only 1770, mm-hmm. you know, type stuff. Uh-huh. Like, work is such a weird thing. It's so central in this book. Mm-hmm. But most of romances, that's how she spends some of her time. Or, like, she has, like, not a furlough, but, like, a sabbatical coming, or, like, she has a ton There's of time something off. that's right. gonna, like, extract her from the work. From the workforce. Yeah. Montana Sky, that has three women, mm-hmm. in Who fact, passed. pulled out by these very specific circumstances. of their father's will. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, a lot of that stuff, though. I'm like, isn't that weird? But, like, a lot of that happens. Yeah, like, to be absented from work is part of the fantasy. Right. Like, you're so entirely... So, so then it's moot, whatever your job is, you can mm-hmm. put yourself in the place of yeah. you know, the person. But the pink carnation, the framing story that happens around it is actually about academic work, mm-hmm. and it's entirely reliant on the fact that you have to go and, like, interview people and look at their artifacts. There's, in general, I think people are super into the academy Ugh. in yeah. romance novels. <laughs> and you can tell that that means they were never actually in it. They were just always thinking about They're it. They're like, I want to get my PhD because I love books. Yeah, exactly. And, like, so many people in the romance communities have an MLS and getting an MLS is so different from getting any other kind of advanced humanities degree. Yeah. <laughs> they show a lot of confusion and a lot of like <laughs> token like hard works hard right guys. That's not at all about like your advisor touching your knee or <laughs> just being like rejected yeah, based on your ideas. You over, yeah. yeah. Or just like having to fight up against the same boring old ideas and frankly I feel like most of the characters I see in the academy have very boring ideas. Yeah. Yeah, utter alienation coupled with poverty. Poverty! The reliance on a debt. Yeah, that's the part of it no one ever talks about. Yeah, exactly. I guess in the peak carnation, she does live in like a really shitty apartment. And she does talk about the fact that she came to her PhD project because she ran out of options in the recession. Okay. Yeah. That's real. Yeah, that's pretty real. (laughs) And she has a friend who's like super sexy and in PR, but like it is understood that like she's like also super in debt and like your options are like in debt for this and debt for that. Okay. I want to talk about the peak carnation soon. Okay. It was one of the only books I read on my own. Uh, we got to talk about it in terms of the Scarlet Pimpernel, which was written by a baroness. Oh, yeah. Up. I've still got that from you. I love that book. All right. Parting thoughts for Wanna Get Lucky. Womance or a nomance? I'm going to say it's a nomance for me. So somance? Yep. So somance. I just think like it needs to have like a third of the shit cut out of it. And then it also like if you're into this kind of thing, like a little bit of mystery, a lot of place. Read the Charlene Harris's True Blood series, as it's now known because of the very successful television show, which also has actual sex scenes in it. Yep. As far as a sweet romance, this was pretty good. Like, the kissing stuff was nice. I just don't think there should be a sweet romance that has this much porn. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know who it's for. Exactly. Like, who is this for? I saw it, like, I flipped to the one-star Amazon reviews, and half of them were like, it's too filthy. Too many (laughs) F-words. Not my experience of this book. Yeah, they were like, it's too smut too many f-words i don't even remember an f-word it felt very PG-13. knock me down and fuck me shoes there you go yeah and she said that she twice. said that twice yeah. that's enough that's we have a word for that it's, it's like, fuck me pumps and yeah. it's 
yeah. shorter and better. I don't know who the audience is for. It's like it wouldn't be quite satisfying for mystery people. It's not super funny. It's not super romancy. It really scratched an itch for me as a homesick Las Vegan. I kind of did think about reading the sequels. I hear that. Because it does I, really paints the picture. I want to know if it gets better. Yeah. The writing and like tightening it up and like the self-editing. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Marie. My pleasure. Thank you so much. With that, loosen your stays. Never your principals. Mwah! Mwah! Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week. <laughs>